Well, I have the privilege um, today to continue on our, our Advent uh, kind of presentations as we've talked about um, our focus during the Advent season is kind of on how we can give back um, as an expression of the gift that God has given to us. And so we highlight some ministries that, that we are supportive of here at, at Wellspring. And so each week we've been taking a look at um, different ministries. The first one was World Vision. Um, and we've got some, uh, still have some packets, um, some kids that we can uh, sponsor throughout the year. And I'll be back there after the service if you guys would love to uh, to sponsor one of those kids. Um, we've taken a look at uh, Food for Kids a couple weeks ago. Um, that's a ministry that we continue to invest in here in in our neighborhood. And then last week you got to hear from the uh, the summer intern program that we have uh, every summer and uh, the monies that we try to provide those interns so they can kind of have a job in the summer. And so each one of those has a table in the back. We'd love for you to uh, kind of divert some of your uh, Christmas giving to those eternal things and um, continue to fund those things that we um, just value so much in our community. So today, um, you're going to be hearing from, because it's kind of our last one uh, for the year, um, from Stacy Kearns. And Stacy um, is one of those folks, uh, she was kind of one of our founders, her and her husband, Devin. So she was someone that believed in the vision of Wellspring before there was a Wellspring. Um, so she's a, a really dear friend of mine. We worked here together for many years. A lot of years she worked volunteer without pay. And so her investment in our community has been huge. Um, a lot of what we do here, especially in small groups and, and community and the culture that we have as a church, um, came because of uh, Stacy diving into um, hard things in her own life, um, continuing to grow and encounter Christ, and then sharing that with those around her. And so as a church, whether you know it or not, um, we're really indebted to Stacy's faithfulness and the work she's done um, over the years. And so now she's putting her energies to a new endeavor that we've heard a little bit about in recent months, but she's going to kind of give us an update today. So Stacy, come on down. Let's give her a hand. It's almost the end of the year. It's a perfect time to pause and reflect, as if anyone has time for that. But the sisters have big dreams for 2020, so it would seem wise for us to pause and breathe a little and look back on the last year, not only to think about our lessons learned, and we have some of those, but also to consider where we've seen God's hand in our story. We have much to celebrate this year, but the victory only carries some weight if we understand how big the battle is. Last week, Bob talked about the strange, dark side of the Christmas story and King Herod's cruel and violent methods of clinging to his own throne. And he reminded us that we're all clinging to our own thrones, resulting in a world at war where hurting people hurt other people and each other. This world is a dark place for sure. But we know that there's hope because we're celebrating the light that came into the world. So as I reflect this Advent season and I turn around and look back at the ground that Sisters of Solace has covered in 2019, my thoughts actually go back to the end of Jesus' story on earth. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus was arrested, he prayed for himself and his disciples. 
But he also prayed for all of the followers that would come after, asking the Father, may they be brought to complete unity so that the world will know that you have sent me. Complete unity so the world would know that light has come into the darkness. So our unexpected theme for 2019 has been unity. The unity of the church has gotten the attention of the world, or at least a small city called St. Joe. At least a dozen faith communities have embraced our ministry and supporting us in a variety of ways. The Catholics and the Protestants have come together on the same local mission field, and the city has taken notice. When we share our story of stepping out of our comfortable lives and into the dark places where vulnerable and unprotected women go unwanted and unnoticed, we're met with the same response across the board. How can we help? We are so very close to opening our doors only because city officials, businesses, social service agencies, and absolute complete strangers have been drawn into a story that's bigger than themselves. The story of God drawing in the outcast. My friends, the world is watching the church. I have become fully convinced that when believers unite together around care for the poor, that people become very curious. Holy passion is contagious, and movement is compelling. Earlier this month, Ashley, our full-time care coordinator, began working with me on a daily basis. We've been drafting our policies, we've been developing our procedures, we've been putting together three ring binders, which is so fun. <laughs> yeah. We've been coordinating with our community partners, we've been giving tours, we've been sorting through donations, we've been organizing our space. And one day we were down at the house and the doorbell rang. And that's not really all that uncommon. We have volunteers and contractors coming through on a daily basis. But on this day, surprise, there was a homeless woman at our door desperate for a place to stay. Now we get calls and we hear stories every single day. But it's something different when she's standing right there at our door. With a few incomplete house projects, we were not able to welcome her in that day. But we decided to start actively living out our vision in whatever ways we can. So Ashley now responds to those calls. She meets with ladies down at the crossing, and she connects them to whatever help that we can give them through our community partners. She has delivered socks and blankets and food to women in places that people are not fit to live. So thanks to our friends from local churches and lots of wellspringers. Okay, I'm going on a tangent. This is not in the script. But, so last Sunday I walked in and my friends Randy and Michelle said, how can we help? And I said, hey, do you guys know how to put together those partition bathroom stall things with the doors? And Randy's like, no, but I'll figure it out. And he did. He pulled together his small group, and we have 
bathroom partitions and doors, and I've just been aglow all week. So anyway, that is not in the... <laughs> Thank you. Went a little rogue there. So back on track. So our renovations are close enough to completion that I am now able to announce first to my Wellspring friends today what the rest of St. Joe will know tomorrow. We are now hiring. So we are now accepting applications for our evening overnight and weekend staff. So ladies only can apply, <laughs> can apply online through our website, sosstjoe.org. And there you will find the online link right in the middle of our homepage. We're about to step into 2020. New year, new decade, new women's home. And my prayer for our ministry comes right out of my favorite Christmas song, O Holy Night. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Our house is about to be full of women who've been abused and unwanted and exploited or all of the above. And I pray that when they come into our house, that they would encounter the word made flesh, experience hope and healing, and that someday their souls would feel their worth. Merry Christmas. So guys, our, our specific um, ask for this um, ministry is, um, so they have, is it six rooms? Eight rooms. Um, and so each of those rooms, they have it kind of broken down into a, a cost per year for each of those rooms. And so our goal is to is to fund for a year half, one half of one of those rooms. So in, in com combination with lots of other churches who are doing similar things. So we're asking our community to raise $5,000 to help meet that need. Um, and so that's something that... Uh, uh, you guys can be shooting for and, and talking about, contributing to as a family. Um, just to be honest with you, all the things that we're doing out here with Food for Kids and, and internship and all these things, it's, it's, they're stretching, guys. It's, I'm asking you to, and myself, <laughs> to take a look at your finances, your budget, what you're choosing to spend and, and where you're putting your money, and is it into things that are lasting? Um, you know, is it... Um, is it just one more thing for the kids to play with and destroy? Or is it um, that, that person that's standing right in front of you that needs a place to stay that night and, and weighing the value of those things? Um, it makes us kind of stop and think and ponder a little bit about what it really means to reflect Christ this time of year. So um, thank you, Stacy, for your faith and courage doing that and all the others that have been involved with you. So I'm going to hand it over to Justin. A two, I'm going to toot Stacey's horn again. I had the privilege of taking my interns to um, Sisters of Solace this summer, and it was a blast. And we got to meet some of her team. An incredible ministry. So if you've never even just been down there, like I really encourage you guys to you know, contact Stacy or call the office and just go visit and see what an incredible ministry that is, because you will definitely be blessed. And I'm sure they could use some people to volunteer as well with numerous different things. All right, well, the past um, three weeks of Advent, we have been um, looking at some unique stories um, centering around the life of Christ. We've seen how um, Mary, who was a young, vulnerable teenage girl, 
um, played a huge role, right, in welcoming um, the beloved son of God into the world. We learned that just moments after giving birth, uh, Mary and Joseph welcomed strangers, right? Like imagine giving birth and then random people start coming in. That's a pretty awkward, intimate, personal time. And they welcomed strangers who wanted to simply behold um, um, the king. And this story challenged us to consider how we're doing at welcoming the stranger into our life. We looked at how King Herod um, tried to kill Jesus because he felt threatened by him when he was a baby because he thought he was the king of the Jews. And it was kind of um, a challenge to look at our own hearts and realize that there's a little King Herod living inside of every single one of us as well. We want to be the king of our own lives. We want to call the shots. We want things to go our way. But slowly but surely, every day as we submit ourselves to the lordship of Christ, that little Herod is dying a slow death every single day. And last week, we looked at how the birth of Jesus was actually an act of war. The enemy knew that Christ had come to destroy his evil works, and so he did everything in his power to kill baby Jesus. And every day for um, all of you know, mankind, he has been hell-bent on destroying the lives of Christians and crushing our hearts. And it was a reminder that we must fight for our heart. And not only our heart, but we must fight for the hearts of others because we are in a battle. We are at war every day. And so today we're going to continue diving a little bit deeper into this story. So if you would open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, it should be page um, 965, I think. John chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at uh, verses 9 through 11. So John says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world had made, had, was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So John says that the true light, Jesus, was coming into the world, and this is what we often refer to as the incarnation of Christ, which is really just a fancy word for meaning the embodiment of God in the flesh. God literally took on flesh and blood and walked among human beings in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 10 says that he was in the world, but the world did not recognize him. And then John hits a little bit closer to home in verse 11, if you want to look at that again. This is, when we're, this is what we're going to focus on. It said, Christ came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And we just talked about how King Herod didn't receive Jesus. He was threatened by him. He thought he was the king of the Jews, and so he did everything he could to take Jesus' life, even, even as a baby. And not only did Herod not receive him, but Jesus' own people didn't receive him. Literally, many of the individuals and families that Jesus grew up with as a teenager, as a young boy, flat out rejected him. They didn't receive him as their king. They didn't welcome him with an open heart. Has anyone here, maybe a show of hands, have you ever walked into a room or been in a group of people that did not welcome you? Like it was obvious you weren't really wanted. Anybody experienced something like that? Okay, wow. Okay, yeah, I would guess 
that wasn't a very enjoyable experience, right? Kind of just like, okay, I'm gone, right? Slip out the back door here. Not very fun, but yet that's exactly what Jesus encountered. That's exactly what he experienced. Of course, there were people that followed him, right? I mean, he had his disciples, but many people flat out rejected him. And not only did they reject his teaching, but they set out to silence him once and for all, right? They set out a plan to scheme to say in the New Testament, they, the Jews would hold numerous meetings throughout his three-year ministry to try to scheme up a plan to arrest him and to kill him. They held meetings to plan his death. Why? Why did the Jews hate this perfect, innocent person? Why did the Jews reject Jesus? And the short answer is that because Jesus came in a form that they did not like. He came in a form that they didn't like. You see, the Jews were well-versed in the Old Testament. They knew the scriptures that were available to them at the time very well. But like us, they often chose to focus on the parts that they liked, right? While ignoring the parts of scripture that were hard to accept. See, the Jews loved verses that talked about the power and the glory of their coming Messiah. They loved the idea of their Messiah being a victorious king. But they kind of put aside verses that talked about how the Messiah would suffer and be crucified, right? They kind of glanced over those verses. Being beaten and hanging naked on a cross in front of other people didn't quite fit the image they had in mind of a reigning victorious king. But yet that's who Jesus is and what he went through. And you see, it's one thing for us to sit here this morning and listen to me talk about a group of people that we're not connected to from a couple thousand years ago and how they rejected Christ. That's one thing. It's another thing for us to understand and accept that we are exactly like them. We are exactly like them. Although we're not a room full of Jews, obviously, every single one of us reject Jesus in some way, some form, or another. And here's what I mean. We love Bible verses that talk about God's love for us, right? And how he is our comforter and how he wants to give us peace, right? We love verses that talk about how God wants to bless us and prosper us, right? And how we are more than conquerors. But we tend to glance over verses that talk about how we have to die to ourselves or how we're called to die to our selfishness. We don't focus a lot of time on verses that tell us when someone wrongs you, turn the other cheek. It's not your job to seek revenge. It's not your job to seek justice. Why? Why do we choose to focus on the ones that emphasize love and comfort? And it's because just like the Jews, we often don't like the form that Jesus comes in. See, sometimes we want Jesus just to be a cosmic handyman, right? to call upon him to fix all our problems. Our marriage is falling apart, our job's killing us, we're filled with despair, anxiety, depression, whatever it might be. We just want God to sweep down and rescue us. Sometimes we call upon God to fix everybody else's problems because we don't wanna deal with them, right? 
God, help so-and-so, they're a disaster. I don't have the time, the capacity, or the compassion to care for them. So please, if you could do something about that, that would be great. So that it demands nothing of me. Sometimes we receive a version of Jesus that we want him to be, as opposed to who he really is. See, we like the parts of Jesus' nature that say that he is a deliverer and a comforter, and he is certainly those things. But that's only part of who he is. Check out these passages here, or just some things I put together, that are also 100% true of Jesus. Undeniable. He comes as a humble child. He is a suffering servant, rejected, betrayed by his friends, brutally murdered by his own people. He picks up his cross, literally, and dies so that others might live. He loves his enemies and prays for those who persecute him. He forgives those who wrong him, even those who killed him. Go ahead and leave that up. Now, all of these things are also true of who Jesus is and how he comes to us, but these aren't very fun, are they? These don't give us warm butterflies, right? Warm fuzzies on the inside. We're not very comforted by the idea of becoming suffering servants or dying to ourself or blessing our enemies, right? So I have a question for you guys. So leave those up there. So why do we, more specifically, why do you, why do you tend to run away and avoid these parts of our Messiah? Why do you tend to focus more on how God wants to bless and comfort you instead of accepting that if you're going to follow in Jesus' steps, you will suffer and you will have to die to yourself? Why are these forms of who Jesus is so hard for you to accept? The floor is open. Who would be so honest and vulnerable? Yes. Yes, thank you. Yeah, she says it's super hard to forgive those who wrong us, especially love others more than ourselves. We love ourselves quite a bit. Yeah, good. Griffin, yeah. Okay, yeah, he says every one of these requires him to be selfless, and that's pretty hard <laughs> because of our, you know, our human nature and our sinfulness. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, he said these are really hard because to live these out, to accept these is to invite suffering into his life. And we love our comfort, don't we? As Americans, oh boy, we love things to be easy. 
and cozy and nice. Yeah, that's good. Anyone else? Yes. Yeah, yeah, he's saying, yeah, it can be tough kind of that uh, to, you know, just differentiate that he comes as a humble child, but we've been given the greatest message known to man, but we can't let it, you know, spark pride in us in any way. Anyone else? It's our last one. Yeah, she said she loves being accepted and approved by people. So to put yourself in a position of rejection feels like death. Yep, that's what it is. It's death. Yep, if we are to follow Christ, we are to die. Right? Good, thank you guys for sharing those things. If we are to accept, you can go ahead and take those down now. If we are to accept the true Jesus, we must accept his comfort and his suffering. It's not one or the other, it's both. And accepting Jesus' suffering is just so hard for us because it's strange. It does not make sense. It's literally foreign to us. Like as you study the scriptures, everything that Jesus is and does is countercultural. It's almost always the opposite of what we would naturally do. It literally doesn't make sense half the time to what we would want to do and respond to the things that life throws at us. And that's why we have to submit to the example that he laid out. That's why he came and walked among us, right? He laid out the example of how to live, how to love. Because he knew we wouldn't get it if there wasn't that example. God is stranger. I want to share a personal story with you guys of how I rejected Jesus. So several years ago, I kind of had a falling out with a friend in my life who was, I was really close to. And... Um, it was really rough and awkward, and there were some cuss words exchanged, and it was weird, to be honest with you. And um, my flesh, I wanted to say, dude, screw you. I'm done. Like, peace out, man. Like, good luck with life, right? We're going our own ways. And, um, but as I kind of started to wrestle with this, and like, man, how do I respond to this? Like, this is so awkward. I know Jesus calls us to love. And then I started thinking more about who Jesus is. A suffering servant, someone who forgives his enemies, he prays for those who wrong him, he blesses those who persecute him, he even forgave the people that killed him. And it hit me, how could I possibly think that I could choose another way than the road that Jesus already paved, full of grace and forgiveness? And so, <laughs> I started praying for this guy. And I did not want to. And they were pathetic prayers. Very generic. Not heartfelt. <laughs> the first couple of weeks I prayed, I committed to praying for him every day. Uh, the first couple of weeks, literally all I could pray was, God bless him. Those three words. And I didn't even mean it. I wanted, I wanted not good things to happen to him. 
Um, and as I kept praying for him, my prayers got a little bit deeper and more sincere, and I actually started to mean them. And through that process of me just dying to my desire to seek revenge or whatever I was trying to seek, I slowly found myself actually wanting good things for him, wanting good things for his family. I didn't want harm to come to him. Um, I reached out to him and just kind of thanked him for our friendship, kind of knowing we were going our own ways. It was kind of it. We actually ran into each other a couple years ago um, and just hugged each other and had just a short conversation kind of catching up. And it was just kind of a glimpse of, I don't know, just, you know, uh, God's reconciliation. But man, it was hard. Everything within me, right, wanted revenge, wanted to hurt. Forgiving others is not easy. But it's who he is, what he has done, and he calls us to do the same. And so as we come kind of to a close today, we have to move from our understanding that not only did Jesus' own people, the Jews, reject him, but that we so often do the same. And all of this really just gets back to trusting God. Do we trust God? Do we believe that he is good? in the midst of our circumstances? Do we trust that he's good when we're betrayed by a friend, when a family member passes, when we lose our job? Are we going to press into the stranger that he is or keep trying to make him out to be something, someone that he's not? Why do we feel that we have the ability to pick and choose which parts of Jesus that we like, which parts we don't like? Will you choose to accept a half-true version of Jesus or a false version of Jesus just because it makes you feel good? Or will you accept the true Jesus, a Messiah who is a comforter and a sufferer, a Messiah that dies to himself in order that others can live, a Messiah that offers peace, love, and joy, but also blesses his enemies? That's the true Jesus. Which Jesus will you accept today? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, in that your word became flesh, God, and made his dwelling among us. God, you are so good and faithful to us, Lord. I pray that you would forgive us, God, for accepting false truths, false versions, half-truths, God of you, Lord. We want to accept the full you, the full Savior, God. Comforter, victorious king, but also a suffering servant, a wounded healer, Lord. That is who you are, God. That is who you have called us to be. There's no other way. We have everything that we have in this life, God, that we could ever possibly want in you. God, forgiveness and hope, but you also require us like we talked about a few weeks ago, to die a slow death, just like the little King Herod living inside of each of us, God, dying to ourself, to our sin, to our lust, to our jealousy, to our desire to be king over our lives, Lord. We lay our hearts, God, and our perception of control over our lives and others, we lay it down at your feet, God. Pray that you would be honored, God, this evening in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.